Good morning. My name is Brian Asker. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossview Rosa Parks. And uh, Alpha is a great program. Chance to ask some questions. And uh, maybe today, as we walk through the sermon, you will have some of your own questions. My hope on some level is that I'm starting a conversation. Uh, Or maybe you've already been having the conversation. Because we're going to talk about race, power, and privilege. Now, this is something that at Crossview, uh, historically, we've talked about race, power, and privilege uh, for about the last eight years. Uh, on the weekend uh, that we in America celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. and his legacy. Uh, we haven't done that at Crossview Rosa Parks, so I'm excited that we get to do that. And some of you I know are excited that we're having that conversation uh, today. But I know others of you are going, oh boy. <laughs> I'm a little worried, what is this guy going to talk about? Is he going to talk about critical race theory? Are we talking about Black Lives Matter? Uh, where is this going to go? Uh, and, you know, I thought that this, these were, like, really politically divided uh, issue. This was an issue that we didn't really talk about at church because it's a political issue. Well, uh, just to let you know, um, Crossview is an evangelical covenant uh, church, uh, which means we believe in the centrality of Scripture. Uh, that's really important to us. Uh, we believe in both the Old and the New Testament, and uh, that it is the Word of God, and the old, it's the only perfect rule uh, for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Uh, so that's really important to us. Uh, we also believe that the Word of God has a living nature to it, uh, that it has this uh, power to convict us of sin and unrighteousness, and, and it kindles a desire for new life and beginning uh, a new life in our in our own person. So it's that dynamic life-shaping power that we believe in that leads us to affirm that uh, both women and men are called to serve and we ordain both men and women in ministry. And it's also the reason we intentionally pursue acts of justice and compassion uh, as we do that. So uh, it's because of our belief in Scripture today that we're going to have a conversation about race, power, and privilege. These are things that Scripture talks about. So if you want to open up your Bible uh, to Acts chapter 6, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, We're going to let the text speak to us, hopefully, uh, more than we let our political persuasions uh, speak to us. Let me pray. God, we're grateful for today, uh, for an opportunity uh, to step into your word and have a conversation. And I know many of us are having the conversation. It's happening in our homes. Uh, I know I see it on uh, social media and in the news. And um, So Lord, would you guide us Uh, today. Would you help us to see your perspective uh, on race, uh, power, and privilege? Amen. All right, so uh, jumping into Acts chapter 6 today, uh, we're going to start here. It says in verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So a couple things, let's get some context here. Uh, There was a mandate in the Old Testament uh, for Jews to take care of their widows. Uh, We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 15, chapter 24, and Isaiah chapter 1, just to name a few places uh, that you can see this uh, kind of mandate for them. And the reason is that men were considered in their culture the providers for the family, all right? And so when when a woman's husband died, she no longer had a source of income, and the Bible made it a plan for them to have the means that they needed uh, or to meet their needs. And this was taken very seriously, which is great uh, among the Jewish people. And we can even see this uh, in 
an entire book of the Old Testament, uh, the book of Ruth, if you want to read through that, it's about a widow and what happens with her. And there's a specific section in there where, where this guy Boaz literally tells his workers, look, I want you to leave some of the grain behind so that Ruth can pick it up and help um, her widowed mother-in-law. This is also very early in the church. So this is, you know, Acts chapter 6. The church has not even left Jerusalem yet. So this is very early uh, in the church. But what's interesting, I got alerted to this in reading a back, uh, Bible background commentary. It was apparently virtuous to die in Jerusalem. So this meant that a number of foreign Jews, people who were following Jewish traditions, would come to Jerusalem during their final days to live out the end of their life, which meant that there was a disproportionate number of foreign Jews living in Jerusalem. And what we see in the text here is that uh, there are two distinct cultural groups that are identified. So we have uh, maybe what we might call uh, race uh, today. We di they didn't have that construct uh, back then, but today we have, we've created this construct that we call race, uh, where we've sort of identified people uh, by what they look like. So they had the Hebraic Jews, which were the native Jews who lived uh, in Jerusalem, and then they had the Hellenistic Jews, which were the foreign Jews who had you know, moved into Jerusalem to live out their final days. And these foreign widows were getting overlooked in the distribution of food. And if you think about that, if you look at our, at our world today, it's not uncommon for a group of people, and specifically if we look uh, racially uh, today, for a group, for a racial group or a, or a group in our society to be overlooked by the distribution of some resource. And we can think about this in a couple different ways. Uh, one is the idea of privilege, and the other idea is access. So for the Hebraic Jews, they had access to the daily distribution of food. Or put another way, uh, they had the privilege of food. But for the Hellenistic Jews, they didn't have access to the food that they needed, hence the complaints. Uh, they didn't have the privilege of having that food. And all of us looking at that would say, there's a problem, right? We would agree, this is a problem. Uh, and they would too. And in our story from Scripture, if we continue, it says that in verse 2, the twelve gathered all the disciples together. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, at first glance, you might think, well, that sounds a little strange. Uh, but this is not a statement about what is more important or better. Uh, waiting on tables, uh, that phrase that we see there, does not mean kind of what we think of today, sort of this maybe menial task or low, lower class uh, task. In their culture, the job of the head of the house was to wait on tables. So this was the phrase that they would use to talk about the head of the house, that person being the most important, going around and serving the people in their family. Uh, Others have said this could also be translated to be, to refer to sort of a manager. Um, you can think about when Jesus flipped over the tables of the money managers, uh, that waiting on, that same word is used in that, that space. So it's, these are people who are managing money. These are important people. And then last of all, uh, it says that they're to choose 
people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And I think this tells you that this is, this is a spiritual job and it's an important one. Uh, this is not a lower or lesser job. So power, uh, what does it look like when people with power or the ones who have the ability to do something not only listen to those uh, but believe them? They also made a plan then to empower somebody else uh, to do it. Uh, so this is an impressive uh, passage uh, for us to look at. And the good news is that this proposal pleased the entire group. It says in verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert from Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So one thing that's really important uh, to note, if you're reading through these names, all of these people are people who are Hellenistic names. So this is showing us that the people who had power, i.e. the Hebraic Jews, were handing over power to the Hellenistic or foreign Jews. And I love that it seems to me they didn't just hand over part of the problem. They didn't name like, hey, let's have half the group be Hebrew, half the group be Hellenistic. No, they said, the whole program is going to you. You're going to run the program. The people who didn't have access and privilege, you're going to run the program now, the whole program. And the question is, what did it take for that to happen? Well, the Hebraic Jews had to recognize their own privilege or access to this resource. They had to acknowledge the truth of what the Hellenistic Jews were bringing to them. And as I think about that in my own life, I remember the first time that I sort of became aware that I had privilege. I was working at a summer camp uh, with university. A number of people from around the country, a diverse set of students, uh, were working there as well. And it was a summer discipleship program. And so we would spend some time, uh, kind of each day, studying God's Word and talking about what does that mean for us uh, today. And on one lesson in particular, uh, they had us all line up on a line. They put a rope out in the field, had us all line up, and then they had this simple instruction. Take a step forward every time that a statement is read that is true for you. And so over time, uh, we each took steps forward. So for example, take a step forward if your family had bookshelves and had multiple bookshelves with books on them. Another one was like, take a step forward if your family had a car. Take another step forward if your family had multiple cars. And then take a step forward if your family owned their home. And there were, you know, a number of other statements. And by the end, I was one of two people standing at the very front of the class. And I looked back, and then... We all went in to have a conversation and debrief our experience. And I got to say, mostly I sat and listened that day. And I learned a lot. I learned, uh, for one, that I am a person who grew up with a lot of privilege. I had access to a lot of things. God had given me a lot of things that a lot of my friends that I was meeting and getting to know that summer didn't have access to. They didn't have the same privileges that I did. And it's interesting as we, you know, as I sat and listened to them and I heard some of the stories that they shared, um, I never felt ashamed. And no, nobody ever made me feel any shame for that. 
But I did have a great sense of responsibility. And I remember thinking specifically about Jesus' words uh, in Luke chapter 12, where he says, to whom much is given, much is required. Uh, and so I had that great sense of responsibility. Now, I don't want to like, necessarily slam that on you and say, like, hey, you, know, you need to have the same sense uh, that I do. But that's, as I sat there that day and listened to my friends that I was getting to know and he heard their stories, I began to realize that I had been given much. And I thought about Jesus' words. And if we look at this early church uh, and see what they were doing, they were sharing some of those stories. And they heard it, and they, they understood that they had access. And they recognized who had the power, who had the privilege, and they said, this is not right. And the, Hebrew, the Hebraic Jews gave up their power. They, gave, they didn't give up their access because they increased the access. They gave up their power to the to the Hellenistic Jews so that they too could have access to the distribution of food. And that, my friends, is empowerment. And it's really cool. And the result we see in chapter, in verse 7, is the word of God spread. The word of God moved forward and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I love that part. <laughs> a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And the question I think we want to ask ourselves is why? Why did the word of God spread that day? And I think it's because they were living out what we in the Evangelical Covenant Church would call the whole gospel. Notice earlier, they stayed committed to the preaching of God's word. They did not want to leave that behind. They continued to spread the word of God and tell people about the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the power that Jesus had overcome death itself. So they committed themselves to the preaching of God's word, the sharing, the evangelism of God's word, the telling of others about God's good news. And they committed to acts of compassion and justice and righting wrongs in their community making sure that people had access to the very things that they had access to. And that, my friends, is a very powerful witness in our community. And I think the truth is, when we live that out in our community, when we live out the whole gospel, telling people about the good news that God loves them, and bringing access and doing acts of compassion and justice, we demonstrate a good news, a gospel that people want to be a part of. I want to be a part of something like that, where people are heard and where they experience the goodness. And in many ways, I think as we look at our world today, it's not that different than what it was back then. Are there people in our community that are being left out of the distribution of resources? Yeah. It's happening in our world today. And a lot of that falls along you know, poverty lines, um, those who have money, those who don't, the haves and the have-nots. Uh, but I think if we're honest, we can look at our world and it also uh, falls along racial lines. Um, so while you'll see in rural communities, especially rural white communities, you might see similarities to urban black communities, uh, we also see in our community that issues of injustice uh, will fall along racial lines. So this week I was looking at some uh, statistics about our community, uh, Mankato, uh, the education department in, 
in particular, and you'd think education is one of those things that, that brings equality, right? Anybody can go to school in our community. It's equal access, right? Well, here's what's interesting. If you look at the graduation rates uh, in Mankato alone, 90% of white students will complete their uh, graduation, or they will graduate in four years. You know, you know what the rate is for students of color? 79%. Somebody was really close. Nice. Uh, significantly lower. And some groups are lower, some groups are a little bit higher, uh, but on average, our students of color will graduate 79%. If I did the math right, I think that's roughly, if you're a, a student of color, you're twice as unlikely, right, because it's 10%, 20%, you're twice as unlikely to graduate in four years than our students uh, who are white. So you could say in some ways that the reality is that students of color are missing out on the distribution of high school diplomas. Right? Now, the question is why? And that's something that we need to dig in. And I am not here to pick on the school system today. I know we have some administrators, we have some teachers in our midst. Uh, and I just want to say, like, I know you are doing some work. I even know the school board is doing some work uh, on this. You're trying to make things right. Um, but my hope is that we as a church can be like the early church. That we would be a place where people are heard and where people are valued. And I think when we do that, when we participate in acts of compassion and justice, we bring the good news to our community. And people are open to hear that God loves them and cares about them. So my hope is that we can be a church that does that. And I want to think about what would it look like for us to be like the early church. So I want to give us a few ideas here. I think one of the things that we uh, need to do is we need to put ourselves in places where we hear those who are being overlooked in the distribution of resources. Um, so if this is a new idea for you and you haven't really thought about this uh, before, uh, maybe you're like me, you're just realizing like, wow, like when I was in college, I was like, wow, my friends who are sitting right next to me don't have access to the same things that I had access to. Maybe that's new to you, totally fine. I want to encourage you to do some of your own learning and reading about these sorts of things. Uh, one of the things uh, specifically I want to encourage you to do is consider reading a book. Our race task force right now is reading the book White Awake by Daniel Hill. Phenomenal book, points out uh, some of the things, shares some stories, uh, could be a great read for you uh, to just start to hear from uh, people about some of the different distribution uh, issues that we have in our world. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh, another thing you could do is you could join a justice group. Uh, we mentioned that earlier in the announcements today. Uh, we're going to be looking at five different passages uh, talking about justice uh, and what does the Bible have to say about that. Uh, so studying that, good chance to talk about what does the Bible say and connect that and, and have some of those conversations. Ask some of those questions in the group. How do these things connect? Where do I see this uh, in our world today? So read a book, join a justice group, can put you in a place where you can hear uh, from people who are experiencing some of these things. Um, of course, you can also find a, a friend of color uh, and uh, ask them questions, but I want to be you know, careful on that. Don't want to attack our people of color. Um, you know, it can be painful for them to share uh, some of those things. Um, so, you know, 
Maybe start with the book and the justice group, uh, and as you build relationships with, uh, with different people in our community, you can hear some of the stories uh, that they have as well. Uh, of course, the second thing that we can do, um, once we learn about our own access and privilege, learn about others' uh, access and their privilege, uh, we, we, we can begin to expand access, right? We can look to uh, distribute food and resources in our community. Uh, we can find ways to do that. We try to do that in our uh, church. Uh, one of the ways we do that is by serving with our local uh, partners in ministry and mission. Um, so certainly, uh, we help out at the Wooden Spoon regularly, helping to um, make food for people who don't have access uh, to food. And another one we do is we regularly serve at My Place, uh, a great place to help uh, connect students uh, to resources. Uh, so a place that you can plug in uh, as well. There are lots of other local places that you can plug into. If you need some help, you know, love to have a conversation and uh, chat with you about some of those things. The last one, and this is the most difficult, it takes time, um, and it really requires long-term work, but we really ultimately want to empower the people who don't have access. Uh, we want to put them in positions of power just like the early church. Uh, that takes time. Uh, and it takes work, but that's ultimately what reverses some of these things, uh, is putting those people in positions of power. So uh, this is an issue that is facing America. We see it, I've heard it called uh, America's racial reckoning. Uh, this is an issue that people are talking about uh, around the water coolers uh, at work. Uh, I even get text messages about it from people. And my hope is that we as a church uh, could be a church that could lead the way. That if we could show people how to care for others and really love our neighbors, uh, that we could lead the way for our community, for our nation. And I wonder if we did that, if more people wouldn't be drawn into, uh, into our community, wouldn't be drawn into knowing and hearing about the love of God. Now, I do want you to know there is good work happening here in Mankato. Um, the school system is working specifically on empowering uh, staff and uh, teachers of color. Uh, they've got uh, a program that they're working on uh, to do that, uh, which is cool and exciting. Uh, I also want to know that there's good work happening in the church today uh, with this. And uh, uh, specifically in our church, we have people who this, it's their, literally their day job uh, to make, uh, to help bring access to people uh, who don't have access. Uh, we can partner with them. Uh, so that's exciting. And then just broadly, the church is doing things about this. Uh, really cool stuff. In fact, a uh, quick anecdote about that. Last year, our Mankato High School students had to read two books on racial reconciliation, racial righteousness. And do you know both of those books were written by Christian authors? The church is doing things about this today, and we get to join God in helping people experience his goodness, even here on earth, in, in physical, tangible ways. Um, so my prayer is that we, uh, as a church, can do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word uh, that we get to see how the early church saw fit that they would make sure that people had access to the distribution of food and that widows were cared for. And Lord, we know um, that that distribution is still uneven in our world today. Uh, we see it in different places and different ways. And Lord, we, help, uh, we ask that you would give us eyes to see where that's true uh, give us wisdom to know 
how and what we can uh, do about that and help us to be a church that listens uh, to people, hears their story, hears their cry, and um, empowers them uh, to create solutions. Uh, So we pray for this church uh, that it would love our neighbors well. Amen.